Hello there and welcome to episode 2 of Baseball Ramble. Today is Friday, January 17th, and today we're going to be getting into, well, obviously the firings of Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran, plus Josh Donaldson, the biggest free agent left on the market, signing with the Minnesota Twins, getting into that Cardinals-Rays trade that I forgot to talk about in the last podcast because of how long it ended up being, and some other rumors regarding Chris Bryant, Corey Seager, and getting more into the Astros managerial search as well after A.J. Hinch being dismissed. So firstly off today, we're going to talk about, in my opinion, what is the biggest news. It's not the firings, but third baseman Josh Donaldson signed... The biggest free agent signing in Minnesota Twins history. He has been guaranteed to a four-year, $92 million contract. And that contract includes a fifth-year option that can increase the deal to be worth five years, $100 million. Now, when I say biggest free agent signing, it's not the biggest signing they've ever given out. They extended... Joe Mauer to an eight-year, $184 million extension back in the days. But this is their biggest free agent signing ever. So Josh Donaldson, I predicted in the last podcast at the very beginning that he would sign to about four years, $100 million with the Atlanta Braves. And then midway through, he signed with the Minnesota Twins, which was pretty, uh, you know, typical. But... Donaldson had a really underrated year, in my opinion. I think he was a borderline top 10 player in the National League in 2018-19. He put up just great numbers. He hit 259 with a 379 on base percentage and a 521 slugging percentage, which adds up to a 900 OPS. He had a 132 WRC+, which means he was 32% above league average in that statistic. And he had a 377 weighted on base average, and his expected weighted on base average was even bigger with a 387, meaning he could even he could have been even better. And he also had 37 home runs, 94 RBIs, so a lot of production there in the Atlanta third base hole. And he had a 4.9 WAR. And when you think of Donaldson, you think of like back in his MVP days, you think of his offense. But he was a great defensive player too. He had a 15 defensive run saved and 2.4 ultimate zone rating, which both attempt, well, DRS just measures how good you are defensively in general, and uh, ultimate zone rating kind of decides how good you're, kind of, it's more about range, uh, and that is what factors into war. DRS does not actually factor into war, so if DRS did, his war would be even higher. But yeah, Donaldson had a really great just a, an amazing bounce-back year with the Atlanta Braves. You know, he bet on himself. He said, I'm not going to take... Because, you know, in 2017 he was great, but he missed, like, maybe a little less than half the year. And then in 2018, he only played a month with the Cleveland Indians. And he he could have signed... He could have gone out there and taken the easy way out. He could have signed like a two-year, $20 million deal with maybe like a 
or a two-year like $30 million would probably be more realistic. Maybe like a two-year $30 million deal with a um, $15 million player option for a third year. But instead, he went to the Atlanta Braves, the team he rooted for as a, as a kid, uh, and he signed there for like a, a one year and $20 million. And now he's going to end up making, I mean, you got to assume that when he's 38 years old, he's going to take that $16 million player option. So he's going to probably end up making about six years, $120 million, which I think he'd, he's definitely going to end up being happy with that. And this makes the Twins lineup so good. For the Twins, you have Mitch Garver, who's probably the most underrated uh, catcher in baseball. I mean, he had a, just a monster season with the Minnesota Twins. He's a guy, I, I, I admit, I had never even heard of him before this year, and he hit like 36 home runs, something like that, and not even like like 110 games, I think. Just crazy. And then at first base, I assume they're going to be moving over Miguel Sano to first base, and he's just a huge power hitter. At second base, I when he's starting, you got uh, rookie Luis Arias, who a lot of people haven't heard of, but he's a really underrated guy who can hit um, above league average offense, plus he can play um, all over the infield and outfield. Or outfield, he's a super utility player. Then at shortstop, Jorge Polanco, kind of more a contact-based guy, but he can still hit you 20 home runs and give you a 15% above-league average offense. Um, and then you got Josh Donaldson at third, and when you look at the outfield, you got Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, and Byron Buxton. Max Kepler has a ginormous ceiling with great defense and offense this year. Byron Buxton still, I mean, I would say he has the highest ceiling on the team. He used to be, he was the number one prospect in baseball for two straight years he hasn't broken out yet and then you got Eddie Rosario who's who's really not that great of an all-around player I mean he's good but not great but he can hit hit pretty well and then you got the ageless wonder Nelson Cruz out there in DH who's aging like uh, like a fine wine I guess you could say he went out there he didn't even play he probably played two-thirds of the season and still hit over 40 home runs as like a 41-year-old. That's just unheard of. It's going to be fun to see if he can like play a whole year this year and see what he can do as this old guy out on that underrated Minnesota Twins team. So what do I think about the AL Central now? Because I think most of, most of the AL Central movement is done. I don't see any of those uh, White Sox, Indians... Um, Twins. I don't see those guys. None of them are obviously going to trade for a Nolan Arenado, Chris Bryant, Mookie Betts, Francisco Lindor type. I mean, Francisco Lindor is already on the Indians. And then none of them are going to go out and sign Ozuna or Castellanos. I think the biggest move that could possibly happen for the AL Central is Yasiel Puig going back to Cleveland or maybe even signing with the White Sox. But I think this kind of. I, when I'll do probably predictions later in the year, but I'm I'm assuming that I'm gonna have the Twins number one because their lineup of Garver, Sano, Arias, and then you can't forget about Marwin Gonzalez who kind of had a down year this year, but he used to be a super utility guy for the Astros as well. We'll get in, we'll get into them later, but 
again, uh, Arias, Polanco, Donaldson, Rosario, Buxton, Kepler, Cruz. Uh, wow, that lineup. I mean, they broke the home run record for a reason this year, and I they won't break it again because I do think the ball might go. Home runs will be a little lower this year, but it's going to be a great lineup, and I think this Twins team is just one starter away from being at the same level as they were last season because I I think there is going to be quite a bit of regression there, though I still expect them to be a roughly a 90-95 to win team. So that is on the Donaldson signing. I, I like it a lot. I think it's a really uh, just a great move. You can get worried about that five, possibly five-year length that kind of turns into an albatross. I mean, that would last into his uh, like age thirty-eight season, which isn't great. But I do think Donaldson will will produce enough in at least the first two years of this deal, as long as he's defending. Because I'm confident he's going to stay an offensive beast. But as long as he just doesn't become an awful third baseman, I think this deal is definitely going to be worth it. Now, let's get into the cheating scandal. I mean, I'm not sure there's ever going to be a point since I only, or I guess I should have mentioned this earlier, but I am planning on uploading a podcast every Tuesday and Friday, so twice a week. But there's enough days in between every time I do a podcast, there's just going to be so much news on this cheating scandal every time I'm going to have to talk about it a lot, every time. But as you may have heard, I'm, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know the news. Um, and it happened right in the middle of my episode one. But Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager, 2018, the guy who led the Red Sox to the 2018 World Series championship, has been fired. Reports were saying he was going to... Um, they were going to wait until the MLB's investigation was over. But I think what I, what I personally think happened is they kind of realized that investigation... not might not even end until spring training. And that would be a huge distraction to have to dismiss your manager in in the middle of spring training. And I don't think they wanted to do that. So I think they just said, you know, we need a new manager. We got to send you out. And I actually don't know who their bench coach is, honestly. I'm going to be straight with you there. I I have no idea who their bench coach is. But but Alex Cora, you know, I think he definitely deserved this. I think he's going to get a pretty harsh punishment here. I, I don't know if it's going to be like a two- or three-year ban, or at this point, the way the report's making it sound, he's kind of the mastermind of this whole thing. Is it possible? I talked about this possibility in the last episode. Will he get a lifetime ban? I don't think so. That's pretty extreme, but you never know. And then also, earlier uh, on Thursday... Carlos Beltran and the Mets mutually agreed to part ways. Obviously, that's just a fancy, nice way to say he's fired. But Carlos Beltran is not going to even manage one spring training game with the Mets. It'll be interesting to see who they go with there. I expect they're going to go with who their number two choice was um, during when they were hiring their manager, uh, Eduardo Perez, who is currently an analyst on ESPN. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of his uh, work on ESPN. I I don't, I think he's a little, he seems like he's really old school, honestly, based on how he uh, talks on ESPN games. But you never know, he could be a great manager, and there's still old school managers out there who succeed. So we'll see with that, but 
Carlos Beltran, him getting uh, fired just shows how you would have never expected when we saw the report that Mike Fires told The Athletic that the Astros cheated. You'd have never expected that Jeff Luna was going to get fired. AJ Hinch was going to get fired. Alex Cora was going to get fired. Carlos Beltran was going to get fired. The Astros were going to lose draft picks. The Astros were going to lose $5 million. Like all this stuff, just no one would have imagined that this was going to have this big of an impact. So I don't want to talk about the cheating too much because I'll talk and I'll talk to that later when I do. I, I'm actually going to rank out of the six main kind of components of this Astros cheating scandal. I'm going to rank who I blame the most later. I'm calling it six keys to the Astros scandal. I'm ranking them. Who gets the most blame? But we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about the Astros managerial search. No one would have expected we're talking about a managerial search in the middle of January, but we're gonna have three here. So the Astros have officially interviewed former Blue Jays manager John Gibbons and former well, he's managed the Yankees, Diamondbacks, Rangers, and most famously the Orioles. And he's also a three-time manager of the year. So, but I, I don't really don't think they'd go with Buck Showalter here just because of how old school he was. I mean, if you're too old school for the Orioles, I highly doubt you're gonna get hired by the Astros. But they've all they're also um, rumored candidates: Dusty Baker, um, former Giants, Cubs, Reds, and Nationals manager, three-time manager of the year, won the 2002 uh, pennant. You know, I. I'm surprised he's even part of this either because, again, he was fired because... Or not, he he wasn't fired, but he wasn't re-signed because he just is an old-school guy. And you all, But he, I, an interesting guy here is Jeff Bannister, a uh, former Rangers manager. I, I don't really remember that much about him, but I believe he was not fired. Like, out of all the guys who were fired, uh, who are not, like, managers anymore, John Gibbons, Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker... Jeff Bannister, I don't think he was fired because of, um, you know, he wasn't old school. I think he just wasn't getting results for the Rangers after their uh, successful playoff run there in the mid-2010s. I think they just wanted a better, I think they wanted better results. So, yeah, if I had to pick someone here, I'd pick none of them, or... Well, I also didn't mention they're also thinking about Raul Abanez and Will Venable, who are both former major league outfielders. I'm I don't I didn't ever watch well, I kinda remember Will Venable a little, but I never got to see Raul Abanez play. So I don't know much about him. But out of all these um six choices that have been listed, uh I don't I wouldn't hire any of them. I think you got the best guy for the job in the building already, and it's Joe Espada in my opinion. Now they might be a little, uh, I don't know, paranoid to let a guy who is already in the organization do it just because, you know, A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luna, well, not really Jeff Luna, but A.J. Hinch, I guess, couldn't be trusted to keep the cheating under control. So my only thought as to why they're interviewing all these old school guys is to come in here and be like, okay, you guys are cheaters. You realize that. Do you know do you realize how wrong that is? Back in the day, we couldn't cheat. We just had to play baseball, and that's what I'm gonna teach you to do here, because you guys are probably so reliant on this cheating crap that we're we're I'm gonna teach you the right way to do it. 
so if I had to predict a guy out of these, I guess I could see John Gibbons getting the job or Dusty. I think it. I think it'll either be John Gibbons or Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker. I really don't think it's going to be Buck Showalter because I think he's like. I don't think he's just old school. I think he's anti new school. I think John Gibbons and Dusty Baker would at least not mind. You know, they wouldn't mind the analytics. So now I'm going to rank the six keys to the Astro scandal. The ranking here is who is most to blame. So number six, least to blame out of the most key components here is owner Jim Crane. You got to feel bad for this guy because according to the MLB report, this dude had absolutely no idea what was going on. He had no idea when he saw the report in The Athletic of Mike Fires saying they cheated. He had no idea what the crap he was talking about. And Rob Manfred described Jim Crane when he interviewed him for the investigation as just visibly upset and troubled that this would happen under his watch. And he, I mean, you know, when when you watch the press conference of him announcing the firings of Jeff Lunau and AJ Hinch, he, you could tell he was not like, he wasn't okay with this. He really just hated the fact he had to do this. So Jim Crane is the obviously the least to blame. Number five, this is going to not go well with a lot of people. Jeff Lunau, Astros general manager Jeff Lunau is number five because the report describes he also had no idea that this was going on. That's just crazy to me. But the MLB said, you know, you're the general manager of this team. You have to be held accountable for what's happening. And that's why he got suspended and ultimately fired. Just because he he let this happen under his nose, I guess. Number four. I, this is kind of ironic because these are the two guys who are probably the biggest names related to the scandal. Manager A.J. Hinch. The report described him as he was he disapproved of this cheating method, and he even went as far to not just not get rid of just one, but got rid of two of the monitors the Astros players were using to cheat. And I do blame Hinch. I'm not saying Hinch is not at fault because I don't I don't comprehend. The fact that he didn't let his boss, Jeff Lunau, and and even bigger boss, Jim Crane, how did he not tell them what was going on? And also, he, he di- apparently didn't voice his approval to the players. Like, why are you, especially after the Red Sox were caught with the Apple Watch scandal, and Rob Manfred came out and said, hey... We're done with this. We're not doing this anymore. Why would you not act on that? That is his downfall. Lack of communication is what killed AJ Hinch. And that's why I think he's going to get a job. I think he's going to get a job because he's obviously smart. He's an an amazing baseball he's an amazing baseball mind. But just lack of communication. And it's really disappointing because I like A.J. Hinch. And I think he's getting unnecessary hate and people are calling him a cheater. When he's not really ju- he's not really a cheater. He's just someone who accepted the cheaters. Number three on this list 
is Carlos Beltran, the leader who he was descri- described as the ring leader of, you know, the cheating. The guy who kind of, like, said, yeah, guys, this is a great idea. Let's do this. As a veteran, as a guy who has been in this game, played for a lot of different teams, possibly, I mean, I'm a borderline Hall of Famer. Let's do this. Honestly, if they aren't going to let Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and all these guys in for the Hall of Fame, they absolutely cannot let Carlos Beltran in. Now, I if I haven't really looked at the stats and seen if he's a Hall of Famer yet, but even even if he is, I'd probably vote for him. But I better not see a ballot in the next three years that doesn't include Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens, but includes Carlos Beltran. Because he is a, in my opinion, he's a worse cheater. He was a worse cheater. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens just enhanced themselves. Carlos Beltran cheated for an entire team. Number two, the Houston Astros players. The report described this as not a front office scheme. Everyone assumed when this report came out with how analytics-based and smart and trying to find shortcuts the Astros front office is, everyone assumed... Man, these guys developed a scheme with the camera and the monitors. Man, these guys are smart cheaters. But the report described this as a player-run system. The players did this to themselves. And that is why I heavily disagree with the fact that no players are getting punished. Because if, if the report said this was A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau and those guys' ideas, I w- I'd be like, man, they forced this upon the players. They can't do this. But the players are the people who kept this going. How? When you have Jose Altuve, who's a great personality and a great guy, how does he not question this? When you have George Springer, who's described as the same way, how does he not question this? You have Justin Verlander, who's a veteran, a future Hall of Famer. How does he not question this? When you have Carlos Beltran, also a few, possibly a borderline Hall of Famer, how does he not question this? It's ridiculous and it's embarrassing. And this is why the Astros' punishment was not enough. No, they can't strip the title. No, they can't be giving out lifetime bans to Jeff Lunau and AJ Hinch. But the players need to be at least fined. But these guys are rich. Even the ones who make less money than everyone else, they're still making $600,000 a year. They are rich. Fines aren't going to hurt them that much. These players should absolutely be suspended. I don't even know how long. I think, I really do think, it should be at least a month suspension. The Astros has to bring in basically their AAA team. And that I think that would be great punishment. But man, the players did this to themselves, except for number one. And this one's probably extremely obvious. Alex Cora is the most to blame. Yes, the players ran it, but they didn't create it. The guy who created it was Alex Cora. The guy who spread it to an entirely different organization was Alex Cora. 
Alex Cora did so much bad here. He should never be a major league manager, major league coach, baseball manager, baseball coach. He should never be involved in baseball again. And I'm not saying he should be lifetime banned, but a team should never hire this dude because he is the mastermind. You wouldn't expect it because he seems like a great guy, but he obviously has costed people millions of dollars. He's costed people their jobs. He's costed, again, this guy has costed three people their jobs. AJ Hinch, Carlos Beltran, and himself. He should never manage a baseball game again. And that is it for the cheating today. We're now going to get into a trade that happened that I was planning on talking about in the last episode, but did not. The Cardinals will acquire Matthew Libertor and low-level catching prospect Edgardo Rodriguez from the Rays for outfielder Jose Martinez and outfield prospect Randy Rosarena. So let's look at both sides of this deal. And I'll give my opinion on it. As a Cardinals fan, I'll probably be a little more passionate than I would be if this was just any other team. So let's look at what the Rays got. So the Rays traded away Matthew Libertor, who's, I I believe, the number 41 prospect in the entire game of baseball. He now ranks as the Cardinals' number three prospect, only behind Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman. So Jose Martinez, everyone knows... The story about Jose Martinez, he's he has the potential to be probably like a 30% above league average bat. He is so good offensively. He has such good bat-to-ball skills, but he cannot defend for his life. He's terrible at... take. He's He can't run routes. He has a bat... I mean, he actually has a pretty good arm, but he has bad arm accuracy. He can't... Uh, he, he's really not that good at tracking down balls at all. I think that's his main problem. Problem. He can field balls just fine, I think. But I, I just don't think he can track them down at all. So he'll probably be the DH for the Rays. And then they also got outfield prospect Randy Rosarena, who now ranks as their number 12 prospect in the organization. And according to the scouting reports, in his prime, he's expected to be an everyday worthy play outfielder he's expected to be basically kind of an average hitter for an outfielder so maybe like a when you in his prime you might be seeing like 110 wrc plus or so and he's pretty fast he has a 55 grade on the 80 scale for base running and i think he's an above average fielder as well so i think he can be like a solid three war player in his prime i think it's a solid add for the rays but what i don't get is they're just so obsessed with money. Why didn't they? When they they could have, um, they could have just not traded one of their top prospects, kept Matthew Libertor, and kept Tommy Pham. Why do you have to trade Tommy Pham for Hunter Renfro? I just don't understand. I most usually I like the Rays off season, but this year I don't. I think they're gonna regress. I I think they'll probably still be a playoff team. But I and probably still be second place in the division after it maybe based on 
what the Red Sox punishment will end up being. But I just think they would have been better off keeping Matthew Libertor and keeping Tommy Pham instead of having to get trade Matthew Libertor and Tommy Pham for Hunter and for Jose Martinez, Randy Rosarena, get all these um, cheap costing dudes. I don't. I personally just don't understand. Um, for the Cardinals, and well, and, and the argument I've seen is, well, it was a need. Well, it was a self-created need. Why'd they trade Tommy Pham? I don't... He was a... He has the potential to be like a four-war player every year. If he can just get right, he can be a really great player. As a Cardinals fan, I've seen him play. I just don't understand that. The Cardinals win this trade by a mile. I don't care what you say. Matthew Liebert... Uh, Edgardo Rodriguez is kind of irrelevant in this trade. I'm not going to talk about him. Matthew Liebertor... Is the number one forty is the number forty one prospect in baseball, and he's the number three prospect in the Cardinal system. So I'm going to read up on his scouting report right here, according to MLB Pipeline. So, a six foot five a six foot five left hander, Libertor stands out for his combination of stuff and pitchability, with the makings of three pitches that could garner a sixty on the twenty to eighty scouting scale once fully developed. He sits in the low 90s and touches 95 miles per hour with a fastball that plays above its velocity because it's deceptive and gets such good extension over his front side. Libertor's curveball is a swing and miss hammer thrown with three quarters tilt and good spin rate, and he introduced a new and very effective slider during the spring. His diving changeup, meanwhile, is another promising pitch, one that plays nicely off his heater and could be his best secondary offering when all is said and done. So Matthew Libertor is also friends, best friends, childhood friends, with number two Cardinals prospect, and let's see here, number 38 prospect in all baseball, Nolan Gorman. And, uh, you know, that that kind of makes me think they're not going to trade one of these guys for Nolan Arenado because it's like, that's kind of cruel. But I, I don't think, and I don't end up thinking that would matter. So what the Cardinals did was they traded Jose Martinez and Randy Rosarena, and I talked about the Cardinals logjam in the outfield yesterday. They have Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Lane Thomas, Tommy Edmond, Dexter Fowler, all these guys. They're possibly going to re-sign Marcelo Zuna. They do not need Jose Martinez and Randy Rosarena one single bit. This is losing nothing, absolutely nothing, for a guy who not only is, this is what Matthew Libertor is going to be. He's either going to be the top pitching prospect for the Cardinals organization, or he's going to turn into, or he's going to produce a Nolan Arenado trade. It's a win-win from here on out. The Cardinals might have just traded Jose Martinez and Randy Rosarena for Nolan Gorman. But they also could have just traded Jose Martinez and, Nolan, and Randy Rosarena for a pitcher with an extremely high ceiling, a top pitcher pitching prospect in baseball. Either way, I don't know how you look at it and don't award the Cardinals with this win. I don't see the way you say that. So that is that trade. Now we're going to get into some smaller moves. First off, the Giants released the Zach Kozar. I don't understand this. I mean, I guess they have Evan Longoria and um, Brandon Crawford locking up that left field of the left side of the infield. But Zach Kozar has the potential to be at least average. He was pretty unlucky this year, and we've seen him play really well in the past. I don't understand this. 
I guess it was just to get the Will uh, Will Wilson in that trade, who was a higher prospect than the guy they gave up. But someone's going to trade Zach Cozart for the minimum. The Giants are going to be paying it off, and they could potentially get a three-war player out of just a minor league signing. I don't like this move for the Giants. Next up, you got the Angels trading for some pitching depth here. They sign, um, or they've not signed, they have traded for Diamondbacks relief pitcher Matt Andres, who's a righty, for right-handed pitcher Jeremy Beasley, who now ranks as the number 27 prospect for the Diamondbacks. And just a little about Jeremy Beasley, he has he's mostly just expected to be kind of an average, you know, your average major league pitcher. He could he could possibly bloom into a multi-inning reliever, but nothing special. But I do like this move for the um, Angels because obviously I've said multiple times they haven't done enough this offseason. And when you look at Matt Andres' stats. He actually was pretty unlucky. His 471 ERA isn't pretty at all. But when you look at his peripherals, for the advanced people out there, you got the 372 um, fielding independent pitching. You got the 388 X in fielding independent pitching. The 382 Sierra, which for those of you who don't know, those are basically just ERA predictor predictors slash indicators. Um, and then for just the older, you know, normal stats. He struck out 10 guys per nine innings, which is always a good thing. He only uh, he was a little not great with walks. He walked 3.44 guys per nine, but he really didn't give up very much home runs either. He basically just gave up a home run per nine innings, which is below average. The average is 1.1 home run per nine innings. So I think Matt Andrees could definitely be an above average relief pitcher for the Angels, and he's also spot started in the past. He didn't this season, but he has in the past. So if the Angels... Then if the Angels get their normal luck with a maybe a Shohei Otani or Andrew Heaney or Dylan Bundy or any of those guys getting injured, Matt Andres, Matt Andres can definitely fill in for a few starts. Um, you also have the Tigers signing starting pitcher Ivan Nova, veteran move there. I mean, this isn't really that important. It's a one-year, $1.5 million deal. It's just to bring in arms. Nova wasn't good at all last season. He had a 472 ERA, 498 FIP, 491 XFIP, 516 Sierra. He only struck out five and a half guys per nine innings, but and he gave up 1.44 home runs per nine innings. Uh, and he somehow pitched 187 innings. And I guess he was on the White Sox, who were pretty low on starters in 2019. But yeah, not really much importance there. You had the Giants signing starting pitcher Drew Smiley to a one-year $4 million deal. Uh, he was awful this year for the Rangers. Uh, that's about it. I don't expect this move to turn out into anything because I just think Drew Smiley is going to be a below-average pitcher and then he's going to get injured. You also have the, and this is probably the most interesting out of the smaller moves I'm talking about, but you have the Athletics acquiring second baseman slash outfielder Tony Kemp from the Cubs for, let me get his name here, excuse me for a second, Alfonso Rivas. Uh, Alfonso Rivas does not rank in the top 30 Cubs uh, prospect system, so I don't expect that to be kind of a big thing at all. Uh but yeah, Tony Kemp, he's intriguing. He's not a good hitter at all. I mean, he had like a 285 X Woba. Um, and I can kind of get into those stats more. But he had 212 for a 291 on base percentage, 380 slugging percentage, which adds up to a 671 OPS. He had eight home runs 
one of those were a fluke by were a fluke by the way if you know you know a tw- 29 RBIs he had a oh I I said 285 xwoba but he actually had a 285 normal woba and a 262 xwoba so yeah not good at all a 77 wrc plus which means he was 23 percent below league average um the only thing about him is that he can he's a pretty good defender at both second base and outfield if you need the, or and he's also pretty fast so he's kind of just a pinch runner slash pinch he's just a pinch guy you can pinch run for him you can pinch hit for him you can in the ninth inning if you need defense you can put him at second or in the outfield for and that's kind of a, an athletic sort of guy you can play everywhere he's not a good hitter but he'll be on that bench for that 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 athletics team now uh, I don't have much time left, but we're going to talk about two rumors, and then we'll talk about a few f- f- little things, and then we'll be out of here. So first off, the first rumor I want to talk about is the Reds are reportedly interested in Dodgers shortstop Corey Seager. So I don't expect this to turn out into anything at all. That's kind of obvious. You would be hearing a lot more about a Corey Seager room, like Corey Seager rumors, if anyone actually thought a Corey Seager trade was going to come down. But Corey Seager, I think he's people kind of forgot about him. You know, you kind of think of him, think of him as an uh, injury prone guy, and he definitely is. But this year, he was he was good. He had a um, two seventy two batting average, a three thirty five on base, a four eighty three slugging percentage for an eight eighteen OPS. He hit nineteen home runs and eighty seven RBIs. And for the advanced statistics, he had a one thirteen WRC plus, which means he was thirteen percent above league average. He had a 340 Woba and a 332 X Woba, so basically uh, correlates there. And then he had a 5 outs above average, which again is the new baseball savant statistic that is kind of meant to rate your overall defensive capabilities. He had a 9 defensive run saved and a negative 1.5 ultimate zone rating, so a, a good offensive se- or defensive season for Seager, and he had a 3.3 war. So I think Seager definitely had a solid season this year. I don't think I don't think the Dodgers will trade him for two reasons. One, if they wanted to trade him, his trade value is definitely not at an all-time high. They would probably be waiting for him to put together together like a five-four season before they wanted to trade him. And plus, I I could definitely see this being a more focused at the trade deadline because I do think the Dodgers are going to go all out to sign friend or trade Francis for. Man, I got caught up in my words, my bad. To trade for Francisco Lindor at the trade deadline, I think they'll definitely try to do that. Just because there were so many rumors about the Dodgers trying to go after Francisco Lindor this offseason, and they did die down, especially since the Indians GM came out and said that they expect Francisco Lindor to be on their roster. But... That would definitely be the best. It would be like a Manny Machado type trade they made in the 2018 trade deadline. I could definitely see them doing that, especially since this would be different from the Manny Machado trade because they would be getting getting him for more than half a year. They would be getting him for a year and a half, except they would probably have to give up more. But the Indians would be less inclined to be able to ask for a Gavin Lux or Dustin May type prospect with that much less service time available until free agency. We also, and this makes me very happy, the Braves missed out on Josh Donaldson, obviously. So according to the reports, the Braves are reportedly going to revisit the Chris Bryant trade talks they were having with the Chicago Cubs. 
So, I don't, again, I don't think this is going to happen. I can hope as much as I want that the Cubs are going to trade Chris Bryant and finish fourth place in that National League Central. But I really don't think they're stupid enough. But if the if the Braves get that desperate, and again, I don't think they will because they've had a big offseason. Their, their payroll's already pretty high. So it's not like they... They, they could definitely finish this offseason, and the fans shouldn't be able to complain. But the thing with the Braves is they have a lot of pitchers who could intrigue the Cubs. They have Bryce Wilson, or for, for some like mid-tier arms. They have um, Huarskar Yunoa, Kyle Muller, Bryce Wilson. And then for those top-notch arms, you got Kyle Wright, who's the number... Um, man, Kyle Wright's not ranked it. Oh, yeah, number 35. Kyle Wright, the number 35 prospect in baseball, and then Ian Anderson, the number 31 prospect in baseball. Both of those guys are righties. Um, and then you also have a guy like Shay Langliers, who the Braves could trade um, maybe in, for Wilson Contreras. So the Cubs are getting a top catching prospect, and uh, Langliers is the number 63 prospect in baseball. Um, but the the um, Cubs aren't going to get Drew Waters or Christian Pache. But yeah, I think they could definitely try to trade one of those top arms. They have a lot of guys who are uh, a lot of arms who are highly ranked in that prospect system. And they should definitely be able to get some uh, leverage there on the Cubs saying, hey, if you're not accept- accepting this, you're stupid. Though I think the Braves would actually be stupid to expect the Cubs to do that. So a few small things before I head out. First up, the Yankees will bring in CC Sabathia as like a as a special advisor is how they described it to their organization. They've done this with a lot of their former players. They did it with Carlos Beltran before he was hired by the Met, uh, by the Mets. The uh and current special advisors include Andy Pettit, Alex Rodriguez, Nick Swisher, DK Matsui and Reggie Jackson. So a lot, a lot of big Yankees guys right there. And CC Sabathia is going to join them. I think this is just a great. This is a this is such a great thing the Yankees have done. They've created a stable of Yankees legends that just help these Yankee young Yankees players because the the report says the role CC Sabathia is taking is expected to encompass speaking with players at all levels of the system. So not only is CC Sabathia going to be talking with those, um, with the major league players, but he's going to be talking with the AAA and the AA and the single A, all those guys. I think this is just a great thing the Yankees have done with their organization. And the other thing, I'm not going to talk into this too much, but I forgot to mention the arbitration figures. So a few records were breaking for arbitration. First off, Cody Ballinger broke Chris Bryant's like whatever it was like ten point eight or something ten point eight million dollar first year arbitration record. He got a, a little over eleven million dollars, so nothing big there besides the fact that Cody Ballinger is going to make a a boatload of money once he hits free agency in a few years. And then he also had Mookie Betts breaking Nolan Arenado's twenty six million dollar figure, uh, as Mookie Betts now holds the all time arbitration record for 27 million dollars that's how much he's going to make as an arbitration eligible player in 2020 and another notable thing is the astros came to an arbitration agreement with george springer so they were originally going to go to court george springer asked for 23 million dollars i believe and the astros countered 
with only $17 million. So there was a like five or six million dollar difference between them, but they've come to agreement in the middle. Springer's gonna make $21 million, which is like fourth or fifth highest arbitration deal in history. So a horse, uh, a pretty big deal for Springer right there. So that is it for the baseball news. A, thing, a few things I wanna mention for the podcast. I, If you didn't hear it at the in the middle, I am planning on uploading a podcast episode once every Tuesday and Friday, so twice a week. Also, I want to thank everyone for like actually pretty good support on the first episode uh, as of right now. Hopefully, I'll get on Apple Podcasts soon, but I'm on Spotify, uh, which is a lot of people are listening to me on that, and then also I'm on YouTube. But I'm also on this thing called Pocket Casts that I've never heard of. But yeah, I'm starting to get more uh, widespread there. Count uh, Combining YouTube and Spotify, I think I got about 60 or so listeners on the first episode. And I already got 10 subscribers on YouTube, which is solid for that YouTube channel only being about 24 hours old by the time I'm... Well, it's probably not even that when I'm talking, but by the time you're listening to this, it'll be 24 hours old. But yeah, great start to the podcast, and I will see you all next Tuesday for episode three of Baseball Ramble. Thank you for listening.